This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And this is Jesse. Howdy. Hey, Scott. Hey, I got a giant pile of stuff over here. Hey, there are no stuffs in this world. There's no stuff? No stuffs in this podcast. There are only objects, <laughs> phenomena, or ideas. Which have, okay. which have we got a pile of? Well, I have a pile of objects full of ideas and phenomena. Okay. Will Those? that do? That's fine. All right. Well, let's start with uh, Penguin Audio. Penguin Audio sent us another four Stephen, Stephen King? King novels. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> they um, There's just about everything out here. Um, I, I've been talking to Brian Murphy. Uh, I think we're going to set up a Stephen King uh, podcast. Um, because uh, <laughs> I mean, just not, only not only, not only are there are there, you know, a whole bunch of novels on audio, but he was one of the earlier adopters of audio, and uh, he was uh, one of the reasons why I loved audiobooks so much. So uh, we'll, we're going to spend a whole podcast talking about them. But these titles, um, <clears throat> there's four of them. They're all backlist titles. One is The Dark Half, read by Grover Gardner. Oh, One is The Tommy Knockers, read by Edward Herman. And then Christine, read by Holter Graham. And then um, It. Um, and I don't know who reads It, because I've already sent that one out for review, and it's not oh. here with me. Um, I'd have to look that up. Who's reviewing it? Uh, Brian Murphy. Oh, okay. Good. Of course, our resident Stephen King uh, expert. Mm-hmm. So, um, but It, Did you see his it post is one of on, his uh... best books. Did you see he posted about um, uh, Stephen King recently? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I sent him that link. And... Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that was you. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, there it says. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a guy who's uh, reading all of Stephen King's novels. Let's see. if, if And review, not just reading, reading and reviewing all yes. of Stephen King's novels yep. from, from public, in publication order. Right. So starting with Carrie. Uh, but... Didn't Richard Bachman stuff get so he's not doing Richard Bachman stuff? No, Richard Bachman stuff uh, was not public, or I'm sorry, was not published before. Oh, it wasn't? No, some of it was written before, but it wasn't published before. Mm. So the the four original Bachman books were things that he had written in college, but they had never been published anywhere. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, so Carrie is the first one, and he's done that one. 56 book binge. Yeah. I don't think... I don't think... I think that's probably too much. <laughs> that's a lot of Stephen know. King in a row. I, I don't know. I mean, I doubt he's even He's reading King other things in, the, in between, but... Uh, yeah. But yeah, I've read almost everything he's written. You know, uh, you know, we'll probably save it for the Stephen King podcast, but I have not read much of the Dark Tower series, and I know uh, a lot of people just love those. So... Except for the so ending. I got that to look forward to still. Except for the ending. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know too much about what happens after. I've read the first one and the second one. But mm-hmm. All right, here's one from Brilliance Audio. It's called Directive 51 um, by John Barnes, performed by Susan Erickson. It's uh, 
it's billed as a thinking person's techno thriller. Um, Heather O'Grain is the assistant secretary in the office of the future Th office of future threat assessment, investigating rumors surrounding something called daybreak. Part philosophical discussion. No, see, I'm I'm not reading well this morning. Part philosophic discussion, part international terrorist faction, and part artist movement. It is a group of diverse people with radical ideas who have only one thing in common, their hatred for the big system and their desire to take it down. Until Heather can determine whether these people are all talk and no action, she wants to keep this information from going public. So uh, I think you, you had it right the first time. It should philosophical. be philosophical. Yeah, hmm. it, it should be. Okay, good. Um, what's interesting is the front cover of it is really, you know, a nice picture. It looks like something from The Stand. Yeah, I'm Speaking looking at of it. Stephen King, and it's just got a lone woman there holding a gun, looking at an entire uh, highway full of cars, one of which is totaled. Um, kind of looks like, you know, the a zombie book, you know, where all the cars have stopped, you know. And, yeah. Um, so it, it looks from the cover like it's an end-of-the-world type of situation. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it does say uh, that Daybreak, this group, is uh, has a plan to destroy modern civilization. America is at the dawn of a new primitive age, so it does kind of, um, yeah, so it's apocalyptic, I would say. Mm -hmm. Anyway, looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks all right. Yeah. I just finished uh, Hater by David oh, Moody. How'd you like that? Um... I hated it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I hated I hated the first uh, five discs. Mm -hmm. uh, disc five and disc six uh, had some redeeming qualities, mm -hmm. but it has the worst sin any book can ever commit. I think um, the final words of the book are not the end. The final words of the book are to be continued. To be continued. Oh, boo! Yeah, I wanted to drop kick it out the window. <laughs> um, it actually. I thought I thought it was just bad writing, mm -hmm. um, but it's deliberate at first, the the way it's set up, and um, I've got, I'm going to have the review out soon. But uh, it really bothers me. I mean, I I, I really I had a feeling it was going to end that way, but usually they don't say explicitly to be continued. They just say um, uh, David Moody's next book in the series will be out next you know like yeah, yeah. so it's it's like a series right no this is just an unfinished book uh yeah and it's it's not a big one is it it's not giant no it's not very big it's mm -hmm. not um it's six cds so wow that's one of the reasons i chose it is is oh good it's something short something shorter yeah oh huh well all right um, let's see. The next one I have is Angelology. Have we discussed this one before? Uh, I think somebody on the website uh, mentioned it, and I think we may have talked about it as a new release. Okay. All right. Good. I, I couldn't remember if we did or not. Um, anyway, it's about angels. Uh, Sister Evangeline was just a girl when her father entrusted her to the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in upstate New York. Now at 23, her discovery of a 1943 correspondence between the late Mother Superior of St. Rose Convent and the famous philanthropist Abigail Rockefeller plunges her into a secret history that stretches back a thousand years, an ancient conflict between the Society of Angelologists 
<laughs> and the monstro- monstrously beautiful descendants of angels and humans, the Nephilim. So, an angel book. I thought I thought angels didn't have uh, naughty bits. How could they have <laughs> descendants? Yeah, they're not supposed to be able to have descendants. Um, Seems um, somebody didn't study their angelology very close. <laughs> you bet. Um, see, I, angel, I or, uh, vampires don't sparkle either, so... <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, there's a very long description, you know, basically part of what you read there, mm-hmm. the Nephilim and all the details. And then um, there was uh, somebody commented named Joel said, I thought this book was terrible. I read it and I can't imagine it would be any better having to listen to it for three times as long. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering why he thinks that it would take longer to read. I guess some people read faster in their head than they do uh listening sure. yeah i do you think sure. that's true oh yeah really yeah yeah with a with a book um yeah a two 200 page book how, how can how... your lips move that fast <laughs> <laughs> how long is a 200 page book on audio um 200 pages uh maybe six or seven hours yeah six or seven i would say maybe Maybe half that, maybe even a little less than half that, is how long it would take me to read it in print. That's funny. I, I, I guess it takes me longer. Huh. I, mean, I, I know that, you know, different people can read at different speed, you know, out loud, because I see, you know, the public domain version of, of something come out. Oh, are you talking Liberoc- about reading out loud? I'm talking about reading out loud or just reading in your head. Oh, I mean... I mean- well, reading yeah. in your head apparently takes less time for most people, or right. at least some yeah. people. I'm talking about reading, reading without, not out loud, right? Yeah. I uh, I don't I don't find it it's significantly shorter when I hmm. I read the book physically. Gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm yeah. I'm mentally moving my lips. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Mental mover. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Brilliance Audio, another Jack Campbell, Lost Fleet. Um, this one's called Victorious. Um, book, I can't quite make out on the end of the cover what number it is. Um, I've got good light in here, and I just can't make it out. It's either a, <laughs> it's either a six or an eight. I can't I can't tell. Okay. Um, performed by Christian Rummel. Um, as war continues to rage between the Alliance and Syndicate worlds. Captain Blackjack Geary is promoted to admiral, even though the ruling council fears he may stage a military coup. His new rank gives him the authority to negotiate with the syndics, who have suffered tremendous losses and may finally be willing to end the war. But an even greater alien threat lurks on the far side of syndic-occupied space. Um, One cool feature about this one is it includes an exclusive introduction written and read by the author. I love it when they do that. It must be uh, from Audible Frontiers uh, to yeah. start with. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, it says book six of six okay. on uh, Amazon. And um, I, I think that that's really, really good that it's been wrapped up because then it, even if you do like longer books, you're, you're guaranteed not to uh, feel like at the end, oh, no, to be continued again. You uh, know, sure. Sometimes they say, you know, a, a, a three-book series and then they just make another fourth book. Mm-hmm. And you feel cheated. But at least here it says book six of six. Right. Cool. I just, um, I just started a big, long series, but it's not on audio. 
Um, oh, which one? I read Consider Phlebas by Ian M. Banks. Right. Yeah, yeah and, and that that's, one's... No, but no, I don't no. think that's a, quite the same as a series as, as like this. Right? Kind of a loosely uh, connected bunch of... Yeah, books. it's sort of a universe, right? Because right, they right. don't have all the same characters. Yeah, right? I, think, I think you're right. I haven't you know read anything past this. The next one is called Player of Games. Yeah, But I'm definitely going to continue because I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Um, I, I know that there's some E&M banks on audio, but not too much. I, I recall listening to... Um, that's just terrible. I keep bringing up stuff that I can't remember the names of. I think I do that in every podcast. Um, but there was there's a there's an audio drama on um, radio archives um, by E and M Banks. I think it's called State of the Art. Right. I, I got it right. Very yeah. cool. But anyway, it was really good. I like it, and it's a culture book or right. some kind of culture related. Um, thing, but I, I listened to that, and that kind of led me to consider Flevis. So, oh, you know, um, another interesting thing is I um, there's this hard SF group on um, Goodreads mm-hmm. that I joined, and and they read a book a month, and um, you know you can recommend books, and we all vote and decide what the book of the month will be. So anyway, I put forward consider Flevis, and then after uh, people read it, the most common complaint was this is not hard SF. <laughs> they said this is a space opera. There's not a lot of uh, attention paid to the science, and um, yeah, I couldn't argue that. Yeah, right. it seemed like SF, hard SF to me before I read it, but sure liked it. <laughs> Looking at the cover, it was clearly yeah, hard it was SF. clearly hard SF from the cover. I mean, there's equations there. Come on, <laughs> it, right. it comes it comes with a slide rule. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the one of the things I, I've been noticing and. Uh, um, I, I, I talk about often in, in my classes is um, character names. Um, if you're if you're doing your job right as a writer, um, you're picking good character names um, often that have some roots that have some um, meaning, some connotation that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I say, you know, everybody's name means something. So be careful how you pick your name. Uh, be careful, you know, what what name a character sh- can have. So we were reading um, the Graveyard Book, right? Mm-hmm. And the bad guy in the Graveyard Book is called uh, the Man Jack, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, the ja- <laughs> is it the is it the Jack Campbell series, right? Mm-hmm. The Jack Campbell series um, has a, a guy named Black Jack, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does Jack mean? I mean, there's Jack Bauer from 24, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's the, the Jack of Spades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jack is like uh, an important word, especially in stories. I, I just finished, um, not that long ago, I finished a book called Armor by John Steakley. And he's got a character named uh, Jack Crow, which is a great name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, first name Jack, last name Crow. You, you really get a... a, a a visualization, or at least a uh, a feeling of what this character is like, just from his name. Um, it, so much so that in the s- second John Stakely novel, that he's only written two, at, at least back then, uh, in the eighties, um, he used the exact same name. Oh, really? <laughs> With a completely different character, another guy named Jack Crow. No kidding. Yeah. No, not not kidding at all. And um, he actually had another character in the in armor called Felix. 
Um, and apparently, I was reading on Wikipedia that that also in in this book I just started, um, uh, Vampires. John, uh, I was going to say John Carpenter's Vampires, but it's John Steakley's Vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two characters. One's named Jack Crow, and one's named Felix. And yeah. and I was thinking, well, he really picked names that he really liked and just reused them. They're not the same people. It's impossible because they're set, you know, hundreds of years apart. Uh-huh. One's set in the modern era, and one's set in, uh, you know, the year twenty-eight hundred or something crazy <laughs> like that. Um, so when you, I was thinking, well, it's possible that he's. He's written the novels, just used the same names because he liked the names so much, and didn't expect the bo- them both to be published or something like that, hmm. right? Yeah. But um, once you pick a name that's good, why not just keep it, right? He's not just he's not just conserving the character so that he can use it from book to book. He's keeping the name because the name's so good. Right. Um, so I just looked up Jack on Wikipedia, and it says Jack Hero. Jack is an archetypical an American hero and a stock character appearing in legends, fairy tales, and nursery rhymes, generally portrayed as a young adult. Unlike the moralizing fairy heroes, Jack is often portrayed as lazy or foolish, but through the use of cleverness and tricks, he usually emerges triumphant. In this way, he may resemble a trickster, though perhaps the idea of an aboriginal demagogue would be too radical an idea for Britain. <laughs> I love that this is... This Wikipedia entry's got a little bit of uh, refinement still needed. Uh, <laughs> some of the most famous Jack stories include Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack and the Giant, the Giant Killer, Little Jack Horner. While these heroes are not necessarily congruous, their concepts are related and in some instances interchangeable. The notion of quote-unquote Jack is closely related and sometimes identical to the English hero John. Hans with the German Hans or Hansel and the Russian Ivan. <laughs> nice but I just I think there's, there's something really to this There's it's sort of a hidden undercurrent and that's why Jack Bauer on 24 is named Jack Bauer and in a way that's why people like that show uh-huh. not just because he's named Jack but because he is fulfilling some sort of archetypical role of the guy who can get things done and that's actually how I define it um, what does Jack mean? it's the guy who gets things done Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, very. All right. So I need to re, re uh, or change my name to Jack. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people want to be called Jack, like uh, mm-hmm. uh, J- John uh, John F. Kennedy, right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wow. How about Jane? Jack and Jane? No, Jane is plain. <laughs> Jane is plain. Well, Jane, how about Jane Slayer? Jane Slayer. Oh, yes. Uh, Jane Eyre. <laughs> That's the next one here from uh, Blackstone Audio. Um, Char- another, uh, the literary classic with a blood-sucking twist. <clears throat> I, I, I am getting weary of these. You know, I, I haven't actually... You haven't even read one yet. <laughs> I haven't even read one, but even just seeing them, everyone makes me groan now. I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding I- me. I don't know if they're any good to read, but there's no idea. This one is, uh, yeah, Jane Slayer, spelled S-L-A-Y-R-E, by Charlotte Bronte and Sherry Browning Irwin, read by Rosalind Landor, um, Blackstone Audio. Raised by vampire relatives, Jane grows to resent the lifestyle's effect on her upbringing. No sunlight, nighttime hours, and a diet of bloody red meat is no way for a mortal girl to live. <laughs> Things change for Jane when the ghost of her uncle visits her, imparts her parents' slayer history, 
and charges her with the responsibility of striking out to find others of her kind and learn the Slayer ways. After trying her luck at a school full of zombies, Jane finds a position as a governess, where she meets and falls in love with Mr. Rochester. But the evil, but evil strikes in the form of Mr. Rochester's first wife, a violent werewolf he keeps locked in the attic. What else can we throw in here? We need an alien robot. Um, Jane departs to study the Slayer tradition with her cousins, but finds herself yearning to reunite with Mr. Rochester. She returns to find that Mr. Rochester has been bitten by the werewolf, and only she can release him from the curse. So I, I have not read um, Jane Eyre. You know, and and uh, so I don't know. I'm not familiar with this story. Well, but it's I think, funny, uh, you know, Alien Robot. Um, I read something online not too long ago that was talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how Joss Whedon was able to throw a robot in that genre and still make it work. I don't know if you remember those episodes, but I um, episode. I didn't actually manage to watch uh, much of uh, that series. Yeah, I liked I liked Buffy. I only so got about a a third into the first season, and I thought, this isn't that great. Yeah. No, I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, thumbs up. I haven't watched all of Angel. Oh, I saw the original movie. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Well, we'll wait on pins and needles for the next uh, literary classic with a blood-sucking twist. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There sure is. There's a lot. And in, what I like now that is they they've actually... I think there's more than one that is that is um, used the same basic book. Mm-hmm. So they're they're at the point where you know they're actually uh, running out of books to to do it with. Because <laughs> yeah. you know if you're going to do any book, Pride and Prejudice is pretty pretty much number one, right? Right. Yep. And then they did Sense and Sensibility. Now, okay, we're starting to get into. Jane Eyre is, is among those classics that people know, but it's more on the boundary, mm-hmm. yep. I would say. Sure. Yeah, we'll see what's next. Um, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, but, you know, that one. that one's a completely original. Yeah. Has, um, that has no... It, it's, it's completely, you know, there's no uh, text that's being remixed. Right, right. So I think that, that that's um, a, a good second use of the the guy who started it all cool all right um we have another uh from brilliance uh remy chandler novel book two i think we talked about book one okay this one's called dancing on the head of a pin um love the covers of these they're really cool um thomas e snigoski i hope that i didn't butcher that performed by luke daniels um once he was known as the Angel Remiel, but generations ago, Boston P.I. Remy Chandler chose to renounce heaven and live on earth, where he found a secure place among us ordinary humans. But now, having lost the love of his life, ooh, is that a spoiler for book one? Remy mm-hmm. finds himself turning more and more away from his human friends and his everyday existence. He's begun to seek out dangerous jobs, those that involve the supernatural, those that bring him into contact with his past. His latest case... The theft of a cache of ancient weaponry stolen from a collector who deals in antiquities of a dark and dubious nature. The weapons, Remy knows, were forged eons ago and imbued with unimaginable power. If they fall into the wrong hands, they could be used to destroy not only heaven, but also earth. Um, there's a, a case of somebody stealing a name, Remy 
Chandler's, like Raymond Chandler, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a character out there, uh, uh, Stony King or something that's mm-hmm. coming. <laughs> um, Magic Sword Book with angels. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> with angels, that's right. Um, that's like, uh, you know, in that movie, um, uh, what's the one I told you to watch a while ago? Um, the comedy that's, uh, philosophy, oh, uh, um, crap. Oh, anyways, the guy from the office was in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, in that movie, um, you know, <laughs> they have no bullshit, right? There's no mm-hmm. lying. Right. So if books had, had to have, you know, the, the copy description on the back, what, it's really about mm-hmm. it's magic sword book with angels. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, here's one that doesn't have any magic swords in it that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, WWW Wake. All right. This is uh, from Robert J. Sawyer. Um, just came out in, in hard copy from Brilliance. It was on. It's been on Audible since the novel was released, and I think Watch is available now, which is book two. Um, not not from uh, Brilliance, but from Audible. I'm pretty sure I saw watches out yep. there. Yep, yeah, it came out. Okay, so um, I'm actually a little over halfway through this. I haven't uh, finished it yet, but it's already been reviewed for SFF Audio, but um, this was nominated for a Hugo, and I wanted to try to get through all the novels, but I doubt that I'm going to be able to. Um, anyway, Caitlin Dechter is a young, pretty, feisty, a genius at math, and blind. Still, she can surf the net with the best of them, following its complex paths clearly in her mind. When a Japanese researcher develops a new signal processing implant that might give her sight, she jumps at the chance, flying to Tokyo for the operation. But Caitlin's brain long ago co-opted her primary visual cortex to help her navigate online. Once the implant is activated, instead of seeing reality, the landscape of the World Wide Web explodes into her consciousness spreading out all around her in a riot of colors and shapes. While exploring this amazing realm, she discovers something, some other, lurking in the background, and it's getting more and more intelligent with every passing day. That happens to me every every (laughs) Every morning. Every morning I wake up and I get more intelligent as the day goes on. But (laughs) but I never hit full intelligence before I go back to bed. Um, But no, it's, it's pretty good so far, you know, um... I like the the character Caitlin. Um, How's the reader? Very very good. Um, it's it's multi voice. Um, Jessica oh, nice. Al- Al- Almasi. I'm sorry. Ah. Jessica Almasi, Jennifer Van Dyke, A. C. Fellner, and Mark Viator. Is A. C. Fellner a male or female? I'm not sure. Um, I would. I yeah. I'm gonna guess male, but I'm not positive. Um because there are some male parts in there. Um, it's kind of read from the, you know, the point of view character is how they're doing mm-hmm. it. So, which is possibly my favorite way for an audiobook to be done right now is uh, if there are um, First point, person. Of, point of view changes in the, in the book, um, it's nice to have different readers read it. You know, for a first-person novel, it should be read all from, by one person. Yeah, pretty much. Although, um... Uh, full cast audio does a very good job of oh sure they uh, do doing yeah. first persons mm-hmm. tis true all right another dying earth book 
Um, okay. This is number three, and uh, I need to finish number one. I did one of the stories in number one, in fact, the first one, and I loved it for when we were doing uh, all those stories in uh, April. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is book three, Kujil's Saga, published 17 years after Eyes of the Overworld, which is also here. Uh, it's the second novel that features the scoundrel and trickster Kujil. Again, Kujil tests wits with Lukunu and acquires rudimentary powers himself. That's the whole description. And then the rest of the back is filled with how great this book is from Neil Gaiman, George R.R. R. Martin, and Cage Baker. Mm. Um, performed by Arthur Morey, and this is from Brilliance. So, yeah, we've talked. We talked about Jack Vance last time we did this, and big fan, big big fan. How long is how long? How many hours is that one? This one is twelve. Okay, so um, I used to think that that books were just shorter in the old days, but that that's an older book and it's pretty long. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, you know Julie just started on um, the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's forty three hours. Oh so, my gosh! Wow. Um, uh, you know, like the the maybe it's cyclical. You know, mm-hmm. they they go up in length, they go down in length, they go up in length. I mean. The first novel, um, uh, Cervantes, you know, uh-huh. first novel, um, apparently is quite long as well. So, um, the you know the the fluctuation may be more of a trend than I than I first anticipated. Uh-huh. I, I thought uh, maybe maybe I'm just uh, I'm I'm a fan of the, the short books. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. Have you started on the Count of Monte Cristo yet? Uh, no, I haven't. I wasn't planning to tackle that one. <laughs> I was going to go ahead and uh, uh, read Julie's review, which hopefully will contain everything that I need to know about it. If there was only a Count of Monte Cristo with zombies in it, I would read it. You, you know what? I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I've got or, a... no, it doesn't have to be zombies. It has to be something. Uh-huh. Robots. How about uh, alien robots? Alien robots. There we go. Now we're talking. Uh, it's like the man in the iron mask is actually not a man. Uh-huh. How about that? There you go. <laughs> the android in the iron mask. Hey, <laughs> I, I can write one now. You've got Everybody it. thinks he's a robot, but really he's just presentfully an android. Copyright 2010 by Jesse Willis. <laughs> no, I, I freely give that idea. Oh, okay. Let's write it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, I've got a couple of uh, books here from Andre Norton. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking up. Okay. So um, with, they're, they're both Witch World novels, um, number two and number three, and they're both fairly short. Um, they're both around eight hours long. So the uh, book two is called Web of the Witch World, and it's mm-hmm. performed by Nick Podell. And book three is called Year of the Unicorn, and it's performed by Kate Rood. So, um, and Witch World is the name of the first one, and I know that it's out as well. Yeah, the Witch World series. Yeah, so that's all three I of them. I think you might have sent me one of the Andre Nortons. Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah, I, I recently received a nice box of stuff. Okay, great. Fantastic. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so according to this, there are, this is a part of a Simon Trigarth trilogy. So it's a complete trilogy, although there are other books in the Worst <laughs> World series. Um, right. There are actually several, looks like. So, um, anyway, there we go. 
Now, are these, um, would they be considered YA? Um, good question. Okay. I would think that they are borderline. It says on here adult fiction. Um, okay. But I didn't know if all Andre Norton wrote was, was YA books. Yeah, well, uh, what, you know, what's the story on Starship Troopers? Is it YA? It stars a young guy. Uh-huh. But most people don't think it's YA. No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it is. I think he sold it as a YA. You know, his publisher oh, really? asked for another one. I think so. Yeah, it's been so, so long since I've read it, and um, I don't remember. Uh, you know, I remember the basic details of the book, but I, I don't remember I, how I think that that, that that label is really not that useful. It's it, it's not like it's definitely YA. It's something that we put on it, just mm-hmm. like Gothic horror. Well, we, you know? we put it on it because, you know, if you have kids... You need to be able to go to a section of books and say, "Okay, these are going to be appropriate for you." That's what YA means. Hmm. What do you mean by appropriate? Well, in theme, um, theme is really the only difference. I think. I think the main thing is, is it has a young character. Well, that that's right? what that's what kids who read YA like. I don't think that that makes it a YA book. I think it's theme. Well, I don't think it's just kids who like YA. I, I, in fact, I think probably there are more adults no, reading YA. No, I, I've read quite a lot of YA since I had kids. And, you know, I, I try to read some of what they read, and I'm finding it uh, really, really good. I mean, uh, but I, I, I'm just saying that kids who read YA books like uh, young characters in them. But I don't yeah. think that having a kid in a YA book makes it a YA book. I think it's theme that makes it a YA book. You can have adults in it. But mm-hmm. but the theme is what makes it YA. Okay, so what 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 is the the theme? Well, you're not gonna have um, sexual themes and. Um, oh, so yeah, we had this debate sort of over the Cory Doctorow um, YA book. Right, um, right. Uh, well, you know, and I, I should I should you know I don't know that I'm for sure using the right terms either because Twilight was marketed as YA. But that's pretty much what that book is about. I read that book. That's mm, about pining. Yeah, it's about pining. Yeah. Oh, pining he's so dreamy. <laughs> he's so sparkly. Yeah. Uh, uh, those books really annoy me. I I, re- I had to read a couple of chapters of one of those, the yeah, first one. I I, I, re- I read it's it right. all, but I just don't. I don't know. You know, get on a soapbox, but I don't think that they're healthy for girls because I feel like. Uh, she, it's almost that, that she's in an abusive relationship. Uh, it, 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 it was, it was mentally uninteresting. That was the main thing. But uh-huh. I, I, I think that that's my, that was my problem with Harry Potter as well. I read the first book and I thought, mm-hmm. well, she really knows how to write. <laughs> um, well, Harry Potter, and Harry Potter, I liked. to do anything for me. I like um, Harry Potter quite a bit. Is I, it why I thought she pulled a, yeah, it is. I and think I it's even she... younger than YA. I think it's a, it's really just a kids book. It's like right. not just you know teen teenage. I, I think uh, if you read the uh, well, Vicious Beat blog, you know he he loves YA. Mm-hmm. Right? This, if you see the picture on there of Bish, he looks like uh, Dirty Harry. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like a, <laughs> sort of a grizzled uh, Los Angeles cop, uh-huh. and yet he's reading all these YA books. And I'm thinking, well, if he's reading them, then it has nothing to do with how old you are, right? I think right. it. He he loves them. Mm-hmm. That's he, he he writes about them all the time, and I'm thinking, you know, I like YA books too, 
I think they're really fun. Um, and part of it is is because you've got a young character who's you know finding that he's able to do something or she's able to do something, have an effect on the world, and that's really, I think, what kids like about it too is that the um, the ability to affect your world is the uh, thing that gives it the power, and usually that it's a young person. Is is because you know that resonates with them in a way, but I also I, I I've made the mistake of thinking you know um, this is a girl she needs to have a girl's book that is a girl character mm-hmm. and they, it doesn't seem to matter actually. No, I you agree. You can with have you. a boy it's, it's, reading a girl about a girl or a girl reading about a boy, yeah. and they don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. All they seem to care about is whether it it has a a, a person affecting their world. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of boys who've read Twilight. <laughs> no, that, that I don't understand. And that is is hundred percent a girl book as I can even imagine. Yeah. Okay, uh, do you have a lot of scientists reading Harry Potter then? That's my question. A lot of sci- I I I have. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. Are you a scientist? Uh, I'm an engineer. Okay. So I guess the, it's the, not a scientist. It, but. it it wouldn't be in the hard SF reading group. Though. No, it would not be in that. They would <laughs> they would lynch me after consider Phlebas if I I should uh, I should do that. I should uh, they, yeah, I should recommend Harry Potter. They're not going to let you into the group anymore. Yeah, and um, you know the other day in the bookstore I'm looking at some shelves and I see the science of Harry Potter as a as a book. Well, that's a way to sell a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very slim volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very very small. Um, you know but what? No, books I, I love those like books. Are um, there's a series that that does that that you know that rips off uh, the you know rides on the coattails of the um, of a of another book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, the philosophy of. Um, so there's a philosophy of the oh, Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philosophy of the Grateful Dead. Right. Uh, there's right. a podcast actually about that. Um, that does uh, basically, it's a publisher, and what they do is they read a, an essay mm-hmm. from one of their their um, their new yeah. books, and yeah, they did I Buffy. find that quite good. Yeah, that's cool. I know there's a philosophy of Buffy, out right? There. Yeah, and that would actually um, fact, that would I actually think... be an interesting read because yeah, Joss Whedon is not empty. I mean those those uh, both Firefly. Remember uh, Objects in Space. Yeah, yeah. The Firefly well, episode. That, that's a uh, that's an episode of uh, <laughs> philosophy, yeah. no doubt. And I thought, uh, yeah, I watched it just the other day. Um, but if you have the Firefly DVD, uh, be sure to watch the commentary after mm-hmm. you watch the show. The commentary because it's it's really really good. Um, it talks about the, the philosophy episode? and everything. Yeah, what's that? Was that the last episode? Yeah, it was the last one. I don't know that that one ever aired. That was one of those ones that never aired. <laughs> maybe, maybe because it never aired, he felt like, hey, I can I can let her rip on this one. But it was good. Um, uh, Open Court is the name of the the, the publisher uh, who does all these books um, on uh, the philosophy of. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they have a philosophy of the Grateful Dead. And, <laughs> nice. Uh, it's it's really interesting, actually. Uh, Battlestar Galactica and philosophy, uh, Hitchcock and philosophy. Um, I mean, Hitchcock's rope was uh, in one of the philosophy classes I I uh, did in university. We we talked about 
uh, the movie Rope, if you've seen it. it. It's got a philosophy professor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that movie? I have not. Huh? Oh, it's great. Um, it's about a, uh, a couple of students who uh, murder some, someone uh, just because they can. Um, and they are, you know, basically pure evil. But uh, it's got a couple of interesting things in it because um, it's got Jimmy Stewart playing a philosophy professor. Uh-huh. And um, uh, it's done all in one apartment and it's done uh, with as long a take as, as they possibly can make. Mm-hmm. So they ran in, in like 10 minutes and 11 minute uh, takes because they're using the entire length of the film, which oh, is, wow. you know, it's, it's very experimental. Uh-huh. In that sense, but it's traditionally Hitchcock suspense. Um, and it's, it's it's very interesting. It you know talks about different values. So uh, one of the one, new ones on here from 2010: Zombies, Vampires, and Philosophy. <laughs> um, well. And that that's a good podcast actually because it mm-hmm. um, the the Open Court presents po- po- podcast. They they do a little review, or not a review. They give you a little taste of what's in the um, in the uh, the book. So Quentin Tarantino and the ex-convict's dilemma. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's about philosophy, the philosophy of uh, reservoir dogs, sort of. Right. Right. Okay, it's called the Open Court. Op- open Court presents is the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, OpenCourtBooks dot com is the website. All right. Noted. What, what else have you been listening to lately? Um. <clears throat> well, not a heck of a lot because I've been so busy. Um, just doing some um so what i'm I'm into wake like i said i've about halfway Mm. through that but it's kind of been uh at halfway for a while for uh, at least a week or two okay um so that's the only one that i'm currently uh listening to um that's the only one i have going on that i that i can think of right now i've been listening to a lot of uh uh podcasts Oh yeah, yeah, but nothing, nothing. Uh, you know, some of it was from that Anne is a Man podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, listening to some of that. Yeah, I think and, he uh, just recently reviewed the one you recommend, Catholic oh, yeah. stuff. You should know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I found out. Um, I don't need to know that. I, I started. <laughs> I you. I listened to it on your recommendation, and uh-huh. um, it's it's basically the same format as the SFF audio podcast, but talking about. Catholic stuff that right, apparently right. they think I should know, and <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not that yeah, into it. I think it's interesting to Catholics only, and I, I thought it would be a little bit of a wider thing, and I was probably wrong about that. And and felt the same way. Um, but you know, the, the stuff that they talk about on that podcast are not typical things that appear on Catholic podcasts. They're talking about history of stuff and and that. Yeah. So. Well, I I like the history part, but uh, it's a, it's um, it's not uh, hardcore history. That's for right. sure. That is for sure. For certain. All right. Um, well, I've there's got... a new episode of Hardcore History just came out. Yeah, and I haven't heard it yet. It was really interesting. He talks about um, how uh, he starts with a basic premise. Do you think our great grandfathers are tougher than we are? Uh-huh. Um. And the question is, like, do you think, like, if if we had the same arms and equipment as World War Two era uh, soldiers, um, and I guess in this case the United States was fighting the United States, which country would win? You know, the modern people of today 
or the people of back then. Not not using our different technologies, but the same technology. Mm-hmm. What would your answer be? Who would win? Who would win? Them. <laughs> well, of course. Why? <laughs> because uh, they were way more better than us. In what way, though? The important way is that they're willing to take casualties, and they they have a you know they're not wimpy when it comes to um, you know they come from the, the dirty thirties. Uh-huh. What do we come from? The nineteen eighties, you know, nineteen <laughs> nineties. The, the big hair nineteen eighties, right? Right. Uh, we come from a soft a generation of soft. Yeah, we people. come from a generation of people that that don't seem to uh, accept sacrifice as a viable option. Right, and uh, he's he's saying, you know, this is the rise and decline of people. Peoples is a, a new, not a new thing, but um, it's a it's a really interesting topic. Yeah, cool. I can't wait to hear it. Mm-hmm. That'll be good. Um, and uh, what about um, what have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I've got right here from Netflix. What's that? Is disc one of Murdoch Mysteries. Hey, that's cr- terrific. Yeah. Have you started it yet? No, I just I just got it. And um, I've been watching Corner Gas, which I absolutely love. Um, interestingly enough, uh, season one of Corner Gas, or maybe even more than that, but if, if you're interested, it's just a, it's a comedy about a small town done in Saskatchewan, uh, Canada, um, a place called Dog <laughs> River. And anyway, you mentioned it one time, and uh, so I checked it out. I found they have full episodes on YouTube. Um, all of season one is there, and uh, man, makes me laugh. It's a it's a it's a funny show. Yeah, funny I really show. enjoy it. So, um, but that's been great. You know, when when this plays over, which is uh, next weekend, Mother's Day weekend, Pride and Prejudice will finally go on, and um, I will have nothing else to worry about in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will be back, uh, able to uh, do more reading. So, well, um, I highly recommend uh, you try and get your whole family interested into Murdoch mysteries because yeah, I'll try. Um, yep. You know, if they're not into it, you know, you just feel depressed. No, for I, a while because... <laughs> I think that they will be. This it's, is this it's is our really kind of good stuff. show. Yeah, really good show. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I, I I even like the uh, the the theme song. It's actually um, it's all bells. Uh-huh. It's like um, a tune with like uh, bells, ringing bells, and I, uh-huh. I don't like bells. I uh, Connie Willis wrote a whole book about bell ringers. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> is that, you know what, Connie? I'm not all that into bells. Is that bellwether? Um, I'm just guessing. I haven't read I that one. I can't remember. Yeah. It was one of those World War II ones. Anyways. Oh, was it really? I, I don't know. She had she had somebody, some group of people oh. were going to London to ring bells. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, I think that Connie Willis is writing about her own life. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a time machine. She's it. really into bell ringing. <laughs> she goes back in time to the blitz and rings bells. <laughs> rings the bells, yeah. Hey, that's a know. book that I read, Blackout by Connie Willis. Oh, yeah? Is I, that I read finished? that in print. Um, yeah, it's it's out. It's also out on Audible. Um, but I read it in print. It came into the, the local library here, and I read it. And uh, it, it's it's good. I really like it, but it, it is kind of what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not a, a huge surprises in it, but I, but I still loved it. And, uh, you know, the killer for you is that it ends with a to be continued. Oh. Um, I, I, I can't recall if those words are actually there, but it, it's pretty much half of a book. Um, the other half of which will be published in August or something. It, it's not too far out. 
it's all written. It's called All Clear, I think. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, it's one big book that they cut in half and publish in two. Mm. So, you might want to hang tight, but it's going to be one big book. But I, I, I sure liked it. Well, uh, do you want to make that your pick of the week, or have you got something? <laughs> sure, else? make it a pick of the week. Let it rip. Okay. How about you? No, no, no. You that you're making it your pick. Yes, of the week. My, it's my, my pick of the week. I loved it. <laughs> I, I love Connie Willis. So, I, I like her. Mm-hmm. I like her. She's a nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> I love her books too. The the the, her books the time have a lot of bells. Stuff, I really really liked Doomsday Book. And, I think Luke's uh, reading Doomsday Book. Yeah, I saw that. I'm interested to see. You know, I I, <laughs> I can't predict what Luke will think, um, but I sure liked it. And then uh, uh, To Say Nothing of the Dog is another one of her time travel that was, ones. That was fun. But that was fun. Yeah, that one was more of a comedy. And uh, I laughed out loud while reading that book. That's a, that's a really good example of, um, I think, uh, the influence – that books have on other books. Mm-hmm. Um, to say nothing of the dog is a, a, a time travel story set in the Edwardian area, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and uh, the one of the characters is going on vacation from from some heavy uh, heavy duties, and he goes back to the Edwardian area and recreates um, Three Men in a Boat by Men Jerome K. Jerome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, first time I heard about that book was in. Uh, uh, Heinlein novel, hmm. one of the YAs, um, and one of the characters was reading it, uh, Three Men in a Boat. And I think this is actually the best way to get into other people's books is by reading about books in other books. So you have characters reading about a book or reading a book, um, and the actual person who's reading the book, you, reads it and says, oh, that sounds like an interesting book. <laughs> and they go to the library and they find a copy. So when I found out that uh, Three Men in a Boat was a real book, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to read that. Oh, that's cool. That yeah. reminds me of, uh, we were talking about Castle and uh, mm-hmm. fictional, fictional characters. You sent me right. a link to that. And how, uh, okay, so Rick Castle is a novelist. And mm-hmm. Rick Castle wrote a novel called Heat Wave. Um, which actually got published, you know, that's actually out in the bookstores. And, I started uh, listening to it. Yeah, and I, I listened to it on audio. And uh, um, anyway, now in in the show Castle, they uh, have picked up the movie rights. Right. So I, I'm really interested to see how far they take this, but it's it's fun stuff. You know, we'll see who actually plays Rick Castle in the movie version. So what do you call that? A fictional... Fictional, fictional, fictional character. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's going to be funny if they go that far. I'm sure they they will too because it's fun. So, uh, well, I think I think they were he he was uh, uh, got a girlfriend who was a actor and she was going to be uh, playing. Yeah, she was going to be Heat. Nikki Heat, right? Um, and I can't I can't remember who was it. Uh, I think it was one of the actresses who was on Nip Tuck. I can't remember. I'm not familiar with that show, but the uh, uh, she's not she's not going to make it. It's a really ter- <laughs> it's a really terrific uh, Wikipedia entry. Fictional fictional character. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, the different things it says, uh, you know, fictional fictional characters, real people as fictional fictional characters. Um, so on the show Bones, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. The main character is Doctor Temperance Brennan, um, and she's based on Kathy Reichs, who's the author of the Bones series, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and 
Tem- Dr. Temperance Brennan in the show is an author who uh, writes books about a woman named um, <laughs> uh, Kathy Rikes. Kathy Rikes, yeah, right, yeah. Um, and that that uh, that layering is it's kind of like the Man in the High Castle, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, the Grasshopper Lives Heavy is not exactly uh, our world, but it's a it's you know. I, I was thinking, I, I was thinking maybe um, the guy who wrote the Grasshopper Lies Heavy is is supposed to be Heinlein. Huh. Um, it's the, like their version of Heinlein because he lives in Colorado, right? Uh-huh. That's where Heinlein lived for a time. Um, I don't know. I, I think there might be something to that, but I could be wrong as well. Could be, could be. I, I think authors often use their own uh, lives. Uh, that explains why Connie Willis loves Bell so much. <laughs> There's no. There's no reason I can think of that you would base a book around bells other than you're into it. Right. Well, uh, she did. I went to a panel that she was on uh, mm-hmm. back in Worldcon, that Worldcon we went to in, mm-hmm. what was it, 2006? Yep. Yeah, in, in L.A. And um, I recall her saying uh, something about, you know, when you need to, when you're writing, you've got to find something that really that you either really love or that bothers you a whole lot mm-hmm. and write about that. And, uh, you know, then she's bothered get, by bells. Then, or you'll, she then you'll get the, uh, <laughs> the right level of, uh, passion into it. She has that. She, she does have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other entries under uh, fictional fictional character include, um, uh, deeply nested fiction. Hmm. Um, and the, the example from that is, um, Book of a Thousand and One Nights. So, uh, the story of Shahrazad. She's telling uh, stories uh, to the king, and it's uh, you know le- different layers of storytelling. So that that's a good one. Uh, Ellery Queen is a uh, a pseudonym, and also the character. Right, mm-hmm. he's the guy who writes the stories, and he's the um, the uh, the author. Um, John Watson is another example of, uh, you know, he's he's supposed supposedly writes the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories, but they go under a different byline. Um, so there's different layers, and um, it's really it's it's a it's a fun idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Great fun. Well, I've got four more books here. Oh, okay. All right, Let's pack them up. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, Fritz Leiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swords and Deviltry, uh, Lankmar, book number one. Uh, oh, okay. By Jonathan That's been Davis. out for a while, but uh, yeah, this is the new... first in hard hard copy. It's from Brilliance. Nice. Um, yeah, in the snowy reaches of an ancient land ruled by witches and demons, the young prince Fafford, is that how you pronounce that? F A F H R D, Fafford, battles his clan for honor and freedom. Beset by the spells of his evil mother and enchanted by the dancing. Of a beautiful actress, Fafford is driven into exile by his uncontrollable desire for adventure and exotic love. Meanwhile, the apprentice magician, the Grey Mouser, returns to Nuwan for from a quest only to find his master, the Great White Wizard, dead. With revenge in his heart, the Grey Mouser risks everything to inflict vengeance on the evil duke, gaining in the process an unholy access to the evil arts of black magic. Book one. Uh, I I think um, my favorite version of this was a comic book. 
uh-huh. um, called um, Swords and Devil. No, Swords and Devil Trees is piece. Uh, I think that's the second book in the series. Uh, but they did a comic book version not not millions of years ago, and there it is. Um, it's a Sword of Sorcery, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was a really interesting. I think it adapts very well to comics. Um, and you've got this big hulking barbarian guy, Fafford, and uh, the Grey Mausers. He's like a he's a, more of a musketeer style. He's got a a rapier rather than a uh, you know, a big bastard sword or whatever, and they're they're a fun pair. <laughs> cool. I have not read any of those. So yeah, back when I was doing that, uh, you know, reading all of the Hugo winning short fiction, uh, mm-hmm. I got about a third of the way through it. Uh, maybe it's, I'll pick it's it up hard. again it's someday. It's hard going. Yeah, it's, it's hard, hard going, going, but it introduced me to so many different writers, like Jack Vance, for example. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. I, would I have picked those up? I don't know. But you read The Last Castle, and it just blew me away, you know. So it's worth doing just to find those, you know. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people aren't fond of awards and stuff, but it, it's it's a list, you know. It, mm-hmm. It's a it's a list of good fiction that, you know, introduces you to other stuff. Well, generally good. I mean, there are yeah. exceptions. Oh, there are exceptions, right. Yeah. But, um, but there was way more good than bad in, what, the third of them that I've read. But I need to pick it up because I have them all. I collected almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Steve Perry uh, wrote a book called The Mu- the Musashi Flex, uh, read by Joe Barrett from Blackstone Audio. In the early 23rd century, one of the very few ways to rise above your caste is to become a player in the extreme martial arts game known as the Musashi Flex. Now three people will enter into its violent culture. Laszlo Morn is ready to hang up his blades when he moves suddenly to evolve toward a form of fighting unlike any the galaxy has ever seen. Journalist Kane Sola is determined to get the big story on the games, and not even the most blood-hungry flex fighter will stop her. Billionaire Ellis Mutombo Shaw has everything money can buy except fame on the flex fields of combat, but an untested drug may put that within his reach. Um, oh, this is interesting. Uh, the Oregonian, there's a quote from this newspaper. Perry mm. excels at hard-boiled writing, flashing dialogue, and stripped-down action. So, um, Steve Perry has written uh, I've never Star read Wars. a Steve Perry. Yeah, he's written some Star Wars, some Alien and Conan, it says, uh, some Tom Clancy Netforce stuff. Um, he's but a practitioner of, of the... Own, right? What's that? This is something of his own, his own yes. intellectual property. It sure looks like it to me, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I may have read actually one of his, you know, Star Wars books or something, but mm-hmm. um, it's pretty hard to tell who you're reading when you're reading one of those licensed books. I find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are there are some that stand out. It's like Peter David. To me, you know, I could tell on a Star Trek book. You know, Peter David was great, or is. I great. remember he, he he did the comic version of. Uh, I think he did, he wrote some Star Trek Next Generation comics as well. Oh, I think. Um, when you were reading, uh, when you were st- when you were talking about, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, some people don't like reviews, mm-hmm. um, or not reviews. Some people don't like awards. Awards, and yeah. you say, you know, they're they're useful. Yes. Um, it reminded me of uh, something I read yesterday on um, audio drama review. 
this is a great I don't know if you've been following it but it's a great blog uh, uh-huh. by James Snow yeah. I tried to get him to come on the podcast um, but he's very shy so we're okay. going to cajole him some more um, but he, he's been he's been listening to uh, modern audio drama you know people making like you know Broken Sea and Darker Projects and every you know everyone that's out there and, and doing very detailed reviews of everything about them Mm-hmm. Um, and he did one of the zombie astronauts frequency of free, fear, which I posted about very recently because they they used me as <laughs> an actor, which shows you how crazy they are <laughs> because I'm the worst actor ever. But he managed to make it almost uh, unnoticeable, which is very good. I, I played like a background person; you couldn't even you couldn't even really hear me. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, he he wrote a very detailed review. It's probably like twelve hundred words or something. Wow. Um, but he says, um, under additional note, notes, uh, Mr. Walters, that's uh, the zombie astronaut, is one of those precious few individuals who seems endlessly talented. He makes his money as a commercial artist and has solid drawing skills. He has a commanding voice as a narrator, one of the best three in modern audio drama today. He plays zombie astronaut well, writes well, and produces all the shows with a professional flair that leaves many green with audio envy. Mr. Walters is a quadruple threat in a world that is cheering over uh, podcasters who can only write or speak well. It's startling that he has not received more accolades for his work and once again proof positive that I have little faith in awards. What he's saying is, uh, you know, the the shows that win a lot of awards don't Mm -hmm. tend to be the ones he likes. Yeah. And I tend to agree with him. The, The awards don't seem to be very uh they i think a lot of the people who do who who are um, not getting awards mm-hmm. it's because they haven't they haven't bothered to enter and the reason they're so busy making great great stuff they don't bother to you know participate in in what is really a popularity contest right well yeah i guess i can't argue with that um yeah, I'm trying to think of what to say about that. I, you know, I don't know what to say about that. Um, but there are definitely some really great things out there that have won awards. It's true. Yeah. But I think uh, perhaps the bigger your your pond, the the better the chances of that are. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think. Yeah, and again, it could be that the Hugo Awards are basically a history of the popularity of science fiction or the, the the history of the popular science fiction authors at each convention. <laughs> yes. I don't know, but it's a, it's, it is a history and it is a diverse list. It's not, um, you know, some people win awards over and over and over, um, you know, Connie Willis being one of them, mm. but, um, it, it is a really diverse list, especially in the short fiction. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, lots of different stuff. All kinds of different styles, you know, fantasy, science fiction, hard SF. It's all in there. So it is a, it is a history of science fiction, whether or not it's, you know, certainly it's not definitive. But it is I can defeat your entire argument. You ready? Mm-hmm. Star Tide Rising. <laughs> now, a lot of people love that book. Apparently. Yes. I need to get that thing read. Well, just so just so you can try just and uh, so I can, uh, argue in favor of it, but you, yeah, it's we'll see. No, it's so great. 
It is so great because I do. It, like it has Brand. good ideas. It's I've just, read. I've read quite a bit of David Brand. A lot of his short stuff and um, Kiln people, K I L N people. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Um, but it was the whole thing was tongue in cheek. It was funny. Um, I, I, I watched uh, Surrogates not that long ago. Have you seen that or heard about that? Huh. Never heard about. Uh, that. It's a Bruce Willis science fiction action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked about it is it it basically the idea of killing people except uh, as a movie, um, and uh, so everybody lives at home. They never leave the house because they have a surrogate, which is uh, sort of a virtual. Uh, no, it's it is an actual robotic body that they inhabit. Uh, and go about their daily business. So there's no, there's almost no kind of crime anymore except for property crime, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you get hit by a car, that's uh, that's a, a property crime. You can sue the person, right? The, right. the cops don't have much work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's sort of a you know big old fashioned clunky uh, '80s action science fiction movie, um, but it's it does have SF in it, which I like. It it is um, very thoughtful in the in its outlines, mm-hmm. so that's that's all I have to say about killing people. Is I haven't seen, I haven't read it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's fun stuff. It is enjoyable. He just took that idea that you could uh, make a copy of yourself to go out into the world and then come back. And if if it if it comes back before it expires, you get to download its memories. So it was just as if you had done that. But if mm-hmm. it gets destroyed or if it uh, expires before you get to it then you don't get its memories right so of course it's uh makes for a perfect murder Mm. so it's a murder mystery is the kind of the spine of the book but but he takes all the implications of that and just uh stretches it and it's uh pretty funny stuff okay here's another um this one is called uh book one of the night huntress series Mm-hmm. She's a half vampire. Um, by Janine Frost, read by Tavia Gilbert. This is from uh, Blackstone Audio. The book is called Halfway to the Grave. Half vampire Catherine Crawfield is going after the undead with a vengeance, hoping that one of these deadbeats is her father, mm-hmm. the one responsible for ruining her mother's life. Then she's captured by Bones, a vampire bounty hunter, and is forced into an unlikely partnership. In exchange for helping her find her father, Cat agrees to train with the sexy night stalker until her battle reflexes are sharp as his fangs. She's amazed she doesn't end up as his dinner. Are there actually good vampires? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Janine Frost. Halfway to the grave. It's uh, like Blade female. Yeah, yeah. All right. And this Anymore? last one. Yep, this is the very last one. The Twilight Zone Companion, second edition. Oh, okay. Yep. This is uh, unabridged. It's like 14 CDs. Mark Scott Zickery. Mm-hmm. Um, the Twilight Zone Companion is a complete five-season show-by-show guide to one of the television's greatest series. Zickery's well-written account is fascinating for even the casual fan. Coverage of each episode includes the plot synopsis, Rod Serling's opening narration, behind-the-scenes stories from the original artists who created the series, and a complete list of cast and credits. It's neat that this is on audio. I, yeah, I it's a very more, interesting experiment, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I, I am very apt to listen to this uh, rather than read it. 
you know, it would be something that I'd have on. It's it's funny. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. But it mm-hmm. sounds like a really interesting experiment because <laughs> normally this would be the kind of book where you pick it up and put it down. Yeah. Um, you, you pick, pick it up, it up from any page, or you use yeah. it as a reference book. But as an audiobook, you can't do that, obviously. You can't just automatically skip to a random passage and start reading. Uh-huh. Um, but on the other hand, as you say, you know, if, you're, if you put it on in the background, yeah. um, it's, sort of, it's more like nonfiction in the sense that it doesn't require your, uh, your following the plot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, I, it may, may be a, a bold experiment that fails. Um, in which case, uh, it's good to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it might be just, you know, a really great idea. And I love nonfiction audiobooks, but um, I'm just not sure that this is a, as a, a format is, is going to work. Has there any, yeah. been anything like this before? Well, um, the only thing that, that springs to mind that I absolutely loved was uh, mm-hmm. Blackstone Audio put out a version of King Kong. Um, right. Right when King Kong, the movie, came out, the... Uh, the uh, latest one, <laughs> right? The, yeah, and, and the last the disc last, was the whole amazing. Last disc was just fantastic. It was um, commentary by various science fiction writers about King Kong, the movie, and how it affected them. And um, you know, it, it was terrific, and I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. I, I think you sent me that disc, and I mm-hmm. uh, I exploded with delight. <laughs> Yeah, it, it would be neat for them to do more of that kind of stuff. You know, well, let's see I how really this one like, goes. You know, I have on, on it's audio, um, you know, earlier we mentioned how the Jack Campbell book had commentary by uh, Jack Campbell, and yeah. they really ought to take advantage of that. You know, all kinds of audiobooks should have that kind of stuff in it. Yeah, the best the best one back in the old days uh, was um, uh, a collection of short science fiction, short mystery, short um, fantasy mm-hmm. uh, stories um, produced by uh, Durkham Audio yeah. with Orson Scott Card doing uh, an introduction for each uh-huh. um, and saying why the story is so good and why it's in this oh, collection. That, that's where we got uh, uh, Clown Town. A yeah, Dirge A for Dirge for Clown Town. Yeah. And he's, you know... His introduction hypes it up, and it lives up to the hype. It sure does, yeah. Then, uh, Another one it, that leaps to mind is uh, George R. R. Martin's Dream Songs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, three volumes of that on audio. And the whole thing is kind of, it's kind of a retrospective of his career. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of each section of the retrospective is an essay that he wrote about kind of that phase of his career. Right. And it, it was great. You know, he read them on the audio, and it was just terrific. Yeah. Well, you know, the one, the ultimate one to do would be the one you sent me uh, as paper books just the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Science Fiction Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that no, the, that was, uh, or, no, the Road to Science. The Road Fiction. to Science Fiction, right? James. Gunn. Um, it it has uh, awesome, awesome essays at the beginning of each story. Um, I just love to see see that done as an audiobook. Yeah, Science Fiction 101 is one that would be neat done that way. Oh, that's um, uh I I have the the other it's uh got a different name. Yeah, it had a different title at one point. Silverberg. Robert okay. Silverberg, yeah, collected some stories and um wrote an essay about each story. That would be great. Uh, it has Home is the Hunter, which is one of the finest science fiction stories ever written in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You read that? Um possibly who who wrote it and 
Oh, it's. Uh, I want to say Robert Silverberg. But I can't recall. <laughs> no, it's Henry Cutner. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. Boy, the, the name doesn't leap out to me. I've heard the name, but I can't remember what it's about if I've read it or not. Um, Home is the Hunter, Cutner. Let's just see if I can bring it up. Uh, crap. Science Fiction 101. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong about who wrote it. Um, damn. Take away Cutner. See what we get. Home is Henry Cutner. Yeah, there it is. Um, so, Henry Cutner, uh, it says here, New York in the not-too-distant future is a dog-eat-dog world. The elite of the city are led by the hunters who meet in a macabre and to-the-death ritual combat. The winner takes the head of the vanquished and his harem of wives' possessions and the preserved heads of those the vanquished had slain. The story is seen through the eyes of and internal dialogue of honest Roger Bellamy, one of the best. But is he the absolute best? And how can he possibly stand up to the challenge of having to make the top of the pile? And once there, know that you there are a few options at that point to be knocked off the top and to have his own head knocked off. Oh, wow. <laughs> to retire far from noble or the ultimate self-sacrifice, which enables one to be placed forever in the Hall of Fame. So this is set in a future New York in which uh, most people are just live regular lives like you and me, but there are these exceptional people who venture out into uh, Central Park and do battle, um, do battle with each other, and it's winner take all. If you if you kill the other guy, you get everything he owns, all his wives, all his uh, possessions. You 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 get to keep all the heads that he's that man has collected and all the heads that of all the people that that person's collected. So, you know, it could be hundreds of thousands of heads. Um, (laughs) and of course you have to have a giant mansion in which to put the, put all these heads. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing story, just an amazing story, but it's told from the point of view of, of the guy. And he's, he's completely isolated and completely crazy but the world around him just seems to make a lot of sense, other than the fact that it's completely insane. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing, amazing story. Okay. Other stories in that are uh, The Monsters by Robert Sheckley, uh-huh. which uh, I think Rick Jackson did a um, uh, uh, podcast of. Mm-hmm. Terrific story. Um, if it wasn't a podcast, it's available as an as a, um, uh, audiobook. From and, Audible, probably, yeah. Yeah, um, Wonder Audio. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fondly Fahrenheit's in there, uh-huh. which is one of the best science fiction stories ever. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, Alfred Bester. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Damon Knight story and uh, Cordwainer Smith, Scanners Live in Vain. That's another Wonder Audio oh, yeah. book. That's a good one, too. Uh, Colony by Philip K. Dick. Is, is Hot House in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brian Aldous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Little Black Bag by C.M. C. Kornbluth. Yeah. Uh, um, and Day Million, wow. Frederick Paul, have you read that? Um, says that, a far future story. Uh, it's about a boy. <laughs> it's about a boy and a girl. Uh, the girl's not really a girl. Um, and they are going to get married. Uh, they just met five minutes ago. Um, and she's off on a, he's off on a spaceship, but it's okay because he's going to replicate her. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, I think I have read that one. Yeah. It's like... What the hell's going on in this story? And it's super short, and uh-huh. it's, it's it's like uh, 
maybe the root of all the singularity stories uh-huh. because it has this this uh uh you know you can't predict what's going to happen in the future um because at some point our technology is going to exceed our our ability to understand it and really that it's it's amazing amazing cool that that should be an audiobook definitely uh-huh. so road to uh, not road to science fiction science fiction 101 or um Whatever my copy's called, right? Worlds of Wonder, I think, is what it. Used Worlds to be of called. Wonder. That's yeah. yeah, that's right. Great, amazing stuff. Uh, but that's not my pick of the week. You ready Ooh, for my? What is your week? pick of the week? Yep. My pick of the week is uh, something I posted about recently. Um, that is uh, a graphic novel that I picked up at the library. Um, has a really cool cover art, and I had heard something about it being good, and. Then when you start reading it and you say, oh, well, this is good. Um, it's called Pride of Baghdad. It's a uh, graphic novel, not a series, just one one-shot story mm-hmm. about uh, based on the true event that um, during the 2003 bombing of, um, of Baghdad in uh, the, what is it, the Second Gulf War? It's hard to keep track. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the Baghdad Zoo was bombed, and um, many of the animals escaped, huh. um, including a pride of lions. Uh-huh. And it's called Pride of Baghdad. And it's about this set of four lions, uh, two females, one male, and a baby, um, that escape from the zoo and aren't going to try and find out what the wild is like, trying to find the wild. And it's an amazing story. It's 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 told very much in in the kind of you know anthropomorphic way that uh, I want to say I want to say White Fang and um, Call of the Wild are. Except uh, it's the animals talk to each other, but they don't say things that are uh, like humans. Mm-hmm. They say things like like a- lions would say, like the roars mean something, you know, uh-huh. and. Uh, their um, their responses are very lion like, uh, rather than person like, and it's it's just an amazing story because it's it's based on a true story and it's about Baghdad. It's about uh, you know Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship that people have with uh, zoo animals and just animals in general, and and how <laughs> you know is this a good thing or is this a bad thing and. Um, it's just extremely powerful. The end, the ending is like, no, no, <laughs> out of wow. on a true story. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. And the art is fantastic. It's almost all oranges, you know, bright sort of yellowy oranges. Uh, you know, it's a sort of a deserty looking thing, but <laughs> it's, it's amazing. There's all sorts of other animals in it too. There's a, a talking turtle, uh, they meet at the river, and and all the animals have uh, different um, different personalities based on you know what what their interests are. Uh-huh. Uh, the the deer, the not the deer, they're um, the antelope. <laughs> mm. The little baby, the baby lion says uh, the cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, it's an amazing story, and That's um, neat. I'm gonna look for that. Yeah, I, I I found it at my local library, and it's like. Um, Wow, this is the. If every book could be like this, I I would uh, never pick up uh, anything other than these. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. 
This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.